Welcome to EdView 360. What we found is pretty, pretty convincing evidence that when you bring fluency into the classroom or into the intervention setting, you're going to help kids become not just better readers, not just better oral readers, but actually better comprehenders. So it really is something that has been neglected, but I, I think finally we can realize that it can no longer be neglected. It has to be part of our reading curriculum. You just heard Dr. Tim Rosinski, a literacy researcher and expert, as well as a professor of literacy education at Kent State University. Dr. Rosinski is our guest today on EdView 360. Here's your host, Pam Austin. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EdView 360 podcast series. We are so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast for my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager Sopus Learning in Dallas, Texas. Today, we are honored to have with us Dr. Tim Rosinski. Hello, Dr. Rosinski. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here today. Well, thanks, uh, Pam. I'm so glad to be here with you today and to talk about a topic that's very near and dear to me, reading fluency. Oh, yes. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in education and your love of reading fluency here. Okay. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I did not start out to be a teacher or an educator. My undergraduate degree is actually in economics. I guess I wanted to be a banker, make lots of money. Uh, But at the time, I just had gotten out of college and I was actually in the service and I happened to be working with pro- in groups like Big Brothers and uh, pro- programs for kids. And um, I had friends that were telling me, you know, Tim, you ought to be a teacher. You seem to work really well with kids. Well, uh, that was pretty much the last thing I wanted to do. I have uh, family members who are teachers, and I saw how hard they worked, and I said, that's the last thing I want to, uh, <laughs> want to do. Uh, but um, anyways, they convinced me to give it a try, and uh, well... Uh, the rest is history. Here I am today, and I think I've made a great choice and had a great career, met great people. I think teachers are some of the best people in the world. They're my heroes for sure. Mm-hmm. How did I get into reading fluency? Um, well, so I started out as a upper elementary grade teacher, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, and uh, developed an interest in kids who are having difficulty in reading. So I uh, decided to uh, put in my application to become an intervention teacher. And uh, I, boy, I thought I was really hot stuff. I was working on my master's degree at the time, same time, working with kids. And well, it turned out wasn't such a great intervention teacher as, as I thought I would be. Uh, I was doing all the things that I was taught, you know, teach kids phonics, develop their vocabulary, teach them comprehension strategies, build their background knowledge. And yet I had kids who were still not making progress. They were kind of bouncing along the bottom. Uh, couldn't budge them off the dime. Well, fortunately for me, as I mentioned, I was in my doing my master's degree, and this is you know, more than 40 years ago, but there began to appear in the professional literature that the professors had us reading some articles that began to appear on this thing called reading fluency. I wasn't sure I even knew what reading fluency was. You know, uh, certainly knew the term, but what did it have to do with reading? Well, you know, I read these articles, and they really hit uh, home for me. And I decided to try some of these methods that they were talking about. Number one, the method of repeated readings. Number two, assisted reading. And lo and behold, these kids who previously were hardly making any progress at all began to take off. And in some cases, it was really quite uh, breathtaking. So from that 
experience working directly with kids in a school, I went on with my master's and my doctorate and focusing all the time on reading fluency. And uh, it really has become a game changer, I think, for many children. What a journey. There always is a story, one thing leading to another, isn't there? True. Through your experiences, you became an expert, I would say, in reading fluency. Why is reading fluency important for proficient reading? Yeah, people ask that question all the time. You know, part of the reason is that fluency has been neglected and misunderstood over the years. And and so I, one of my missions in life is try to be explain what reading fluency is and why it is important. Some people have described reading fluency as a bridge between two major competencies that we teach kids. On one end, imagine a, a, a river and on you have two banks on this river. On one bank, you have uh, phonics and word study and vocabulary. And on the other end, you have comprehension. You know, as I mentioned earlier, two of the main competencies that kids need to develop to become readers. But somehow you have to connect those two, and that's what reading fluency is. It's that bridge from phonics and word study all the way over to a comprehension. There's two major, well, actually, maybe even three major components to fluency. One is this ability to recognize words automatically or effortlessly. We call that automaticity. And that's, that's actually the part of the bridge that connects to phonics. You know, when we teach phonics, we teach kids to just decode words um, accurately, and, and that's fine. Uh, but what we really want kids to do is dev- decode words automatically or effortlessly so that all their mental energy can be devoted to comprehension. I often say a quote that I'm often uh, attributed to me is that the goal of phonics instruction is to get kids not to use phonics. Then we have this other part of fluency. It's called prosody or expression. If I think about somebody who's a fluent speaker or a fluent reader, it's not somebody who talks fast or reads fast. It's somebody who uses their voice to make meaning. They get loud and soft and fast and slow. They have dramatic pauses. And what they're doing is they're actually adding to the meaning of the text. Maya Angelou had a famous quote in her uh, poem, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And she talked about it's not just the words on print that carry the meaning. It's the way those words are interpreted and expressed uh, by human beings. The human voice makes uh, such a, a powerful contribution to meaning. And so that's the other part of fluency, uh, the expression part, the reading and phrases. You know, when we teach phonics, we teach kids individual words, but we need to take those words and, and put them into phrases and put them into sentences. And that's what prosody helps us to do. So it's that bridge. Uh, and for many of our kids, for, if you're a normal developing reader, that bridge develops on its own just through lots and lots of practice and reading. But for our kids, especially the ones who struggle and our younger readers, that bridge doesn't always develop the way we would like it. And so these kids need you know, this assistance on us from teachers, helping them to create that bridge uh, using those strategies that we often talk about associated with reading fluency. And the research has borne this out, uh, along with three other colleagues a few years ago, I wrote the fluency chapter for the Handbook of Reading Research. We looked at the research related to reading fluency, and what we found is there, you know, it's pretty, pretty convincing evidence that when you bring fluency into the classroom or into the intervention setting, you're going to help kids become not just better readers, not just better oral readers, but actually better comprehenders. So really is something that has been neglected, but I, I think finally we can realize that it can no longer be neglected. It has to be part of our reading curriculum. 
Right. Oh, that's just wonderful explanation there. You know, because the goal of learning to read is to comprehend. Yep. And if you don't build the bridge between the two, uh, the idea of automaticity, right? Reading with ease and prosody, reading with expression, that's right. the goal. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Think about those kids who are the ones who struggle. They can read the words. They're stuck on that island or that the, the side of the bank called uh, phonics. Yeah, they can read the words, but they read those words so slowly without any enthusiasm, word by word, staccato reading. You know, I often say, God bless these kids for working so hard, but they're putting all their effort in the wrong area. What we want them to be is so effortless in reading those words that uh, they can extract the meaning out of the text that they're reading. Right. Extract the meaning, find the joy in reading mm-hmm. as well, I would say. Yeah, joyful reading. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about the pandemic and how it has affected students, especially regarding literacy? And what do you think about those the long-term effects we got to consider that, right? Will students be yeah. able to make up for this learning loss? Yeah, you know, that's it's a great question. And it's really hard to tell at this particular point. What I do know, though, is that reading is fundamentally a social activity. Uh, when we read, we often want to read to people. We want to read with people. We want to talk with other people about what we've read. And, you know, where's the best place for this to happen? Oh, in a classroom, you know, if if you're a child developing, uh, developing as a reader, you know, how can we get this to happen uh, when kids are not in the classroom or when we have to ask them to be socially distant in the classroom settings now with this pandemic going on? So that's really a challenge. And and another one that I think of is motivation. Uh, How can we motivate kids, you know, especially in an online environment? Uh, it's one thing to be in a classroom and read to kids and then say, okay, how about you taking over and reading this great story? But can you do it in an online environment? Yes, you can, but it's going to be more of a challenge uh, there. And of course, we we obviously are more dependent on parents and family members to help us with this notion of motivation. But as far as, you know, learning loss, you mentioned that, you know, we we encounter this almost every year. Uh, we call it summertime, you know, when kids are out of school. We know that a significant number of kids actually lose ground over the summer because, you know, they don't read. But what we also know is, you know, it doesn't take too much effort to bring those kids back on board as soon as we're back in school. So I don't think that we're going to be in for long-term losses in terms of reading achievement uh, as long as we're, you know, keep our eyes on the prize there and and keep that idea of motivation alive and find ways of making uh, reading that social interactive activity that uh, that it was meant to be. Right, a challenge for the the hardworking teacher, as you stated before. Oh yes, right. right. Well, you kind of led into my next question, Tim. When we think about all of the components of reading and all of the areas of reading, um, you mentioned that fluency. You know, when we have that gap and for kids during the summer, how we're able to catch up. Will we be able to do that for our students? I mean, is this a literacy skill that is affected most by the pandemic? Kind of elaborate more on that. Well, uh, yeah, um, (laughs) It's it's interesting because as I thought about your question, it actually occurred to me that fluency uh, can lend itself really well to remote learning. And I'd like to just elaborate on that a little bit. You know, there's two key approaches to developing fluency. One is called assisted reading and the other one's called repeated reading. Assisted reading is where students read something and they hear it read to them at the same time. 
Uh, and that can take a variety of forms. You know, oftentimes it's a teacher sitting side by side reading with a child in a classroom or an interventionist or a volunteer, but it also can take a variety of forms that lend themselves to remote learning. For example, uh, caption videos, same language subtitling lends itself very well. Uh, suppose, you know, that we would have children say, watch caption television or watch YouTube videos where the captioning is presented. They're seeing the words on the screen and they're hearing them at the same time. There's actually uh, quite a bit of evidence that suggests that this could be quite a powerful tool. Uh, we also know that there are different kinds of apps that are a- applications that are being developed that can be used remotely for assisted reading. Uh, apps like VoiceThread or Audacity, these are devices where a teacher can record her or his voice and then send that recording to the student, you know, whether it's in a classroom or, you know, uh, across town to their home. And as long as the child has the text in front of them, they can read that text and listen to the teacher reading it to them at the same time for as many times as they would like. So two or three or four readings there. And, and again, there, there's actually some evidence that shows just uh, how powerful this can be to develop not only fluency, but helping kids cross that bridge to comprehension. The other one that I mentioned was this repeated reading. Repeated reading is really quite simple. It's you ask students to read something, not once, but two, three, four, five times until they can read that text fluently, <laughs> where they read it at a level that a good reader would. The problem with that, and this is one that teachers have been challenged with for a number of years, is how do you get kids to read something multiple times, right? Do you just say, I want you to read this five times and tell me when you're done? We'll talk about it. And I think you're going to get a lot of kids rolling their eyes at you. We need to give kids uh, an authentic reason for repeated readings. And for me, that reason is performance. If you're going to perform a poem or be in a play or sing a song, for that matter, uh, for an audience, you're going to rehearse. And rehearsal is repeated readings. If students know they're going to rehearse, then that they have a reason to practice. This talk I'm giving right now, fortunately, you gave me a hint about some of the questions you were going to give me, so I had a chance to rehearse. And the reason why I did was because I want to do as good a job as possible. Uh, so... Um, you know, I had a natural reason to do that. Now, this lends itself very well to remote environment also, because we can find ways for kids to perform online, you know, via the various Zoom-like applications where, you know, we can get together and have kids perform. In my own family, for example, I have four adult children and and, uh, they live in different parts of the country. And every Sunday night we have family chat. We do it on Zoom. And what I've been doing lately is, so usually Sunday evening we do this, but on Sunday morning, I will send them a text and I will assign parts. Usually it's a poem or a short script, not terribly long, and I give them parts. And what I say is, okay, practice, rehearse. Uh, During our family chat, we're going to have a 10-minute poetry slam or we're going to perform this script. And you know what? We love it, this opportunity for every one of us to become a star. If we can create those kind of situations for children, even in remote environments, I think we can go a long way to help develop fluent, authentic, fluent readers in all our kids. Think about having a poetry slam with your class and every child is assigned a poem that they, you've given them two or three days to rehearse. And then, of course, uh, on that big day, you know, we get together on Zoom and everybody gets to perform uh, their poem. 
And of course, the following week, we do the same thing, except maybe we look at a poetry by, you know, a different poet, maybe David Harrison or Broad Baggart uh, or uh, Ken Nesbitt, some of these great poets for kids. Really fun stuff and lends itself very, very well. Yes. I just love the various types of creative ways for practicing fluency. And you've actually answered my next question, which was, how do we remain strong? How do we make sure our students are actually having the opportunity to practice mm-hmm. fluency in a remote environment. So you gave me many, many examples of both yeah. asynchronous and a uh, asynchronous learning opportunities with assisted readings and repeated readings. And I'm sure lots of teachers are just really impressed with the variety of ways you can make it happen. You know, I have to let you know that I, I watched your webinar and I loved your singing. Tim, it was great to hear. Well, you better watch it or I might break out song right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're a man after my own heart because I'm a walking, talking musical myself. Well, you are in New Orleans. How can you not be uh, a musical person, right? (laughs) Most definitely. Now, I've got another question. Um, You gave a lot of examples of what to do remotely, and I'm assuming you can do these uh, types of fluency practices for prosody and, of course, for automaticity uh, in person as well. Mm-hmm. When we think about kids who you know, may not be taught remotely, but maybe they're taught in person and they're wearing masks, how does that affect their fluency practice? What advice do you have for teachers? Yeah, that definitely is a problem because uh, nowadays, you know, kids in school are, uh, in many cases, expected to wear masks appropriately. So, and I think you know the, the what we have to do is you know as we've been talking uh, as a nation, we have to go to the science, and the science says we have to go to social distancing, so that you know kids are separated if they take that mask down. You know, we can find ways of keeping kids apart, creating barriers when they perform. Uh, one thing that came to my mind, though, is actually having kids record. Uh, we In many classrooms, there are recording studios. Teachers have a little setup where kids can record themselves reading something. Uh, and that could be the performance where the kids read into the recording device. And can you imagine then the teacher uploading that into the classroom website? So parents at home could listen, even though their children are in school, they could still listen to their children perform you know, via the recording that's up on the classroom website. So, you know, that, that's, it, it is a problem with fluency because, you know, if you're, a lot of fluency activities deal with oral reading. And we know that when you read orally or to speak orally, there's always that greater risk of transmitting the, the virus that we're so worried about. So, uh, finding ways to keep ourselves distant, finding other ways for kids to actually um, record uh, and and uh, perform their, their material, I think would work in a classroom as well as uh, in online environments. All right. Thank you. Such a variety of examples mm-hmm. of ways that we could make it happen for students. So uh, your advice would be, do not stay away from providing that practice find ways to make it happen with precautions. Yeah, you know, the key is practice, um, you know, and different sorts of practice. Uh, uh, but make it make it authentic, make it get, make it purposeful practice. Now, you mentioned singing earlier. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about singing to help build fluency. Okay. Um, well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I mentioned this term before earlier, prosody, uh, which is expression. Uh, when I first encountered this several years ago, linguists would tell me that prosody is the melody of language. 
And when I think of melody, the first thing that comes to my mind is song. You know, it was just kind of a natural connection for me. And, you know, as far as using, you know, poetry also in song, I call these rhythmical texts. They're ideal uh, for developing fluency and especially for their str- our struggling readers. You know, th- think about the nature of a song or a poem. They're not terribly long. Uh, they have embedded in them rhythm and rhyme and melody, all those things that make them very accessible. It's not hard to learn a song. It's not hard to learn a poem because of the, that, the nature of these. So if you're talking about a young, a younger child or you're talking about a kid who's struggling, these things are just perfect, I think, for our kids. Uh, in our reading clinic here at Kent State, the clinics for, for all kids who struggle, and we find that fluency is a big issue with them. One of our goals for our kids is to learn to read something well every single day. These children have not experienced a lot of success in school. And so I want them, when they come to our clinic, to every day feel successful. Well, what can you learn to read in about an hour and 15 minutes or so uh, or less? Well, a poem or a song. So every day, our children, and I tell this to our practitioner, our, 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 uh, our, our clinicians, you know, we want these kids to be able to learn to read something well so they can go out and walk up to mom or dad and say, mom, I can read something really well that I could not read at the beginning of the day, that sense of accomplishment. And it's usually a poem or a song. Uh, and uh, the kids just love it. You know, some of our scientists tell us that when we sing, uh, it, something happens in our brains that just is, makes it, in, it uh, makes it fun. It touches our hearts. And these are things we want to do with our kids. You know, we don't want to lo- read only for information. We want to we want to have that aesthetic experience also, and we want our kids to have that. And song certainly is uh, one of those, and poetry also for for touching our hearts. Yes, bringing back the joy of reading again. I'm seeing mm-hmm. a theme flow through. Singing to Bill Prosody. I love it. Great. When we think about success, building that success, it garners more success, doesn't it, Tim? Exactly. Uh, it, yeah, and, and, and just the opposite, too. But yeah, if you're successful at something, you want to keep building on that. But think about those, you know, if you're not successful, how many of us as adults do things we're not very good at? You know, we tend to avoid those things. And you, you can see that with children, you know, if, if they don't see themselves growing like their classmates in terms of their ability to read, uh, they're going to, you know, start avoiding reading, you know, start hating reading. And of course, that's the last thing we want kids to do. So you're exactly right, Pam. We want kids to have that sense of success and that, and that they're getting better and better all the time. And I think these kinds of texts that I mentioned to you, poetry, song, uh, speeches, for that matter, speeches from American history, these, these are texts that uh, lend themselves to reading with expression and learning to read well uh, and without you know, too much effort. Thank you, Tim. I've got another question for you. Who'd have thought, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is this a quiz or what? Yes. <laughs> what can district and school leaders do? you know, to support their teachers. You know, educators are facing so many challenges this school year. How can administrators support the teachers who are in the trenches? Yeah, that's a that's another great question. I, I think um, a couple things uh, came to my mind as I thought about this. Uh, obviously, you know, if we're talking about remote environments for learning and teaching, teachers need that support there. They need the materials, the equipment, uh, document cameras, uh, technical support, uh, training, uh, all these things are, are you know, I, I, many of the teachers I've been 
chatting with just over the last few months, you know, all this got thrown on them within a matter of, in, in some cases, days back in March or so, and they had to learn it on the run. And they, many of them still do not feel comfortable with that. Teach us, our uh, school administrators can can really help and pick up the ball and and provide that that training and support for teachers. I, I mentioned another thing also is, you know, we're talking about you know, uh, remote in-home learning, well, that means parents. And uh, how can we support parents too? Uh, not just in terms of the, the technical stuff, uh, but also help parents develop strategies for helping their kids become better readers. For example, there's a, an activity called paired reading. It, it's really a very powerful technique. And it was actually developed for parent use by uh, Dr. Keith Topping from the University of Dundee in Scotland. Basically, it's where mom or dad would sit down with their son or daughter for 10 minutes daily, and they would read out loud together. And the child would point to the text as they're reading, and they would read out loud. So the child is hearing mom or dad read, but they're also doing their own best to read with mom and dad. That simple activity has been found to accelerate children's progress in reading by a factor of three to five. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's take a kid who is making a half month's progress in reading for a month's worth of school. Okay, so they're not, they're making progress, but not the kind of progress we want them to make. Well, they start doing this 10 minute paired reading with mom or dad. Uh, and now all of a sudden they're starting to make one and a half to two and a half months progress for every month's worth of instruction. Wow. You know, it's almost unbelievable, but yeah. the research is out there and it's pretty darn clear. And it's not just a matter of reading more fluently. We're finding uh, progress in comprehension as well. Uh, if we could train parents, you know, and, and this is where our school administrators could really uh, give us a hand, find, bringing parents together and training them to do this. It doesn't take more than an hour or so. And then, of course, you know, provide them with the support along the way. If you're not familiar with period reading, uh, anybody out there who's listening to this, all you need to do is go to uh, YouTube and search paired reading, P-A-I-R-E-D reading, and you'll find several examples. But it really is so simple to do. This is, you know, the kinds of things we, we should be doing as school districts, as uh, state uh, education agencies to help parents and support them uh, in ways that are not overly burdensome yet can have an impact on their kids' reading. Right. Just another avenue to help build that bridge yeah. from phonics to comprehension, right? Exactly. Uh, make, make that bridge across the river. Right. Very good. You've already actually given me some examples of various ways mm-hmm. that we could help educators build that fluency. When we think about starting next year, is there any more that you would add that administrators and teachers really need to know about? Yeah. You know, it's not so much about fluency, uh, it's, it's actually, I think, uh, giving teachers more certainty. Uh, I know many of our schools here, even into the middle of August, they didn't know whether or not uh, the kids are going to be in person or uh, being taught remotely. And, uh, you know, for a teacher, you're, you're talking about uh, two different kinds of teaching uh, here. So if we could provide some degree of certainty for, for teachers so that they know, you know, what they're expected to do. And then also give teachers, you know, room to prepare. You know, over this this past summer, many of our teachers did not know what was going to happen, and um, it, it, how were they supposed to prepare? So, if we could give teachers, you know, a little bit more time in advance and that opportunity to develop uh, strategies and applications that they can apply once school starts, be very helpful. 
We are nearing the end of our podcast. What is your best advice for teachers that supports building students' fluency this year? And what's the most important thing they can do to help their students no matter where their learning is occurring? Oh, I've got a good answer for that. And it's really pretty simple. Make it authentic. Um, teachers look for those materials that lend themselves to fluent reading, uh, oral expression. Uh, and I mentioned these before, and I probably sound like a broken record, but poetry, songs, readers' theater scripts, oratory, dialogues, monologues, and in finding those kind of materials that kids can really sink their teeth into and have fun with. Can you imagine? Now, right now, it's October. Uh, we were doing this uh, podcast, and uh, you know, next month is November. Well, November is the month that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. Can you imagine having students learn to read the Gettysburg Address, or at least a portion of that, and then performing it on that special day? Government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from this earth. Or how about um, also Veterans Day is in November. One of the things I've always loved doing with kids is saluting veterans. Uh, we'll take a group of kids down to the local American Legion Hall on the Saturday before or after Veterans Day, and we'll uh, do a little salute. We'll sing all those military service songs, and we'll ask the veterans to stand when they hear their song being sung. Over hill, over dale, as we hit the dusty trail, all the Army guys stand up, and we salute them. Off we go into the wild blue yonder, and on and on. You know, you, you, now I got myself singing. Now I can't stop. <laughs> or how about dialogues? Um one of my favorites is that old Abbott and Costello, who's on first. You can actually find that online. But can you imagine kids practicing it and then performing it for an audience there? Uh, give kids a reason to perform. You know, have a weekly reader's theater performance or a weekly poetry slam where, you know, the kids get to perform their poem and we get to celebrate each other for the accomplishments that we have made through that fluent reading. Make it authentic and you're going to find kids really engaged because it's real life stuff. Right. Authentic, meaningful opportunities to practice yep. fluency. I absolutely love it. Well, finally, Tim, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change and why? <laughs> oh, I thought you said if I could change anything and I would uh, um, <laughs> grow some hair on the top of my head. That would be something I'd like to do, but you no. throw in it with the world of education, so I can't answer it that way. <laughs> well, you know, those of you who are been following literacy education, which is probably everybody in the audience, knows that one of the hot topics has been the science of reading. You know, we're supposed to follow the science, much like we do with the pandemic here. Um and I absolutely uh, agree with that. We need to teach phonics, phonemic awareness, fluency, vocabulary, comprehension. Uh, but um, there's another part to teaching also. It's an art. It's not just a science. It's an art. That's, that's why teaching is such a challenge. To be a great teacher, you have to be an artist and a scientist. And so we need to support our teachers in learning the science of teaching reading, but also the art of teaching reading. And you said it earlier, this word creative, we need to give the teachers that opportunity to be creative, to use that creative streak uh, that, that got them into teaching in the first place and create, you know, lessons that are not only scientifically valid, but uh, lessons that are engaging and authentic and, and give kids a real reason to want to read. So it's art and science is what it's all about. Definitely going to remember that art and science. Every teacher mm -hmm. applying those skills. Please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you. 
how they can follow you on social media as well? Sure. First of all, uh, I'll give you my information, my email address. If you have any questions you want to follow up, I'll spell it. It's actually my first initial T followed by my last name without the last letter. So it's T-R-A-S-I-N-S-K at Kent. My university is Kent State University, so it's kent.edu. And I will tell you, I do answer my emails. So if you write to me with a question or a comment or a thought, I'll get back to you, I promise. I have a website. My website is www.timrosinski.com. N-T-I-M-R-A-S-I-N-S-K-I. The reason why I mention that is I have a lot of follow-up materials. I do a blog where I put lessons in and ideas for teaching kids fluency and foundational reading skills. And many of the articles I've written over my 40 plus years in reading education, I've posted so you can get those as well, as well as other resources too. And then finally, I will mention my Twitter feed, I guess it's called, or my Twitter handle. I've just gotten into this the last year. My Twitter feed is at Tim Rosinski one. Uh, so it's my Tim Rosinski one at the end of that. And the reason why I do this is because ever since our pandemic started back in March, I've been doing three lessons every week. So on every Monday, I do something called Morphology Monday, where we examine a word root and help kids expand their vocabulary using that word root. So if you know that B-I means two, you can figure out words like biplane and binoculars and biceps and so on. On Wednesday, we do Word Ladder Wednesday. So it's a lesson I post on my Twitter feed. A Word Ladder is a little word learning game that I help develop. Uh, a lot of fun to do. And then on Fridays, we do Fluency Friday. And usually what I do is I take a theme, a seasonal theme, like right now we're into autumn, and I'll put up there a poem or some other text related to autumn that uh, teachers can use with their kids. So whether at home or in school, and they can practice this autumn poem several times through and eventually perform it. So I'm really excited about this. I, I, it's, I challenged myself back in March. Uh, can I create three lessons a week? And so far, it's been working out. And I've gotten great response from teachers around the country, actually around the world, who have been using these lessons. So at Tim Rosinski one and uh, look for me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Thank you, Dr. Rosinski. It was a joy to have you with us. You shared so much valuable information. Thank you, Pam. This is Pam Austin, bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you. This has been an EdView 360 podcast produced by Voyager Sopris Learning. For additional thought-provoking discussions, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at voyagersopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.